Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Once again to Filthy Casuals, a podcast about video games hosted by three very kind and extremely knowledgeable boys. Thank you for joining us. My name is Tommy Dasselow. With me as always... G'day Tommy, it's Ben Vanell here. It's great to be with you uh, in this... Uh, in another of our mid-COVID episodes with uh, not much going on, we've decided to put on our press hats and do some journalism mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, joining us on this episode, as always, it's our um, our co-journalist, the kind and knowledgeable boy himself. I've actually I've got a different hat on today. My hat has a really big uh, piece of paper in it that says professional historian. Oh, and you can't. Say, I have to turn my head around a full one hundred and eighty degrees for you to be able to read the whole the whole mm-hmm. thing. It's a lot yeah. longer than just the right. press, but it it conveys exactly my intention for today, which is to. Professionally, uh, history. <laughs> Tell you his carry story. around with you like a you carry around with you a little portable lazy Susan, and then you put that on the ground and you stand on it so that yeah. you can slowly rotate it around yes. in front of people so that they can read the hat. Yeah, yeah. I've bought one of those hoverboard little um, automatic <laughs> wheel things. I mean, I don't know yep. fully what the new things are called. I'm a historian. Yeah, you're a historian. But- yeah, yeah, yeah. My I hat actually. Hoverboard- <laughs> Automatic wheel things. You know exactly what I mean, though. <laughs> well, he's not a mechanic. <laughs> no, and when you're talking, yeah, yeah, fair, fair. I'm used to talking fair. about the, the the items that ancient cultures used, and you had to describe mm. them fully in detail about what they were used for. Like a mm. you know a mm. knife was a, a sharp stone object, that sort <laughs> yes. of thing. So that's what I'm doing yes, there. And yes. then I get on that, and I try to rotate, but I fall over, and while I'm unconscious, people have a full uh, six or seven minutes to read what's on my hat while I lie there. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, it's, yeah. it's perfect, yeah. yeah. My, my hat, what's your favourite history? Oh, yeah. My, f- my favourite history? Personally, yeah. it's the history of video games. <laughs> oh! But unfortunately, no, oh, unfortunately, this week we'll be covering the history of Pol Pot's rise to power Yes, that's right. The Khmer Rouge. Um, we'll be digging deep into that. The um, the horrible history of Cambodia uh, yeah. in the mid seventies. <laughs> I've got the worst horrible histories book. <laughs> that I, that I read as horrible a histories colon dictators around the world. Just some really some cartoons that skirted the edge of appropriateness. Mm. I'm wearing my fedora, as you guys can see in my webcam, and I've got my yep. little you know my Classic. little card in the side. And it says press, and then under that it says start, because I am doing some video games journalism. Mm. Wow. Mm. Nice. I would, if you were a journalist who wore that, I would yell at you like I was Trump at a press briefing. I would scream (laughs) at you. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I wouldn't know how to respond. <laughs> What's on your hat, Tommy? Oh, fuck. Um, <laughs> it's actually, it's a toupee. That's a form of hat. I've, um, I've okay. decided to get... I've decided yep. to get into wigs in, in <laughs> isolation. It's like, yep. well, I don't have to be out in public getting ridiculed for it. By <laughs> me just wearing it on conference calls with people, that's slowly acclimatizing them to it so that once I'm out right. in the real world, just wearing the toupee, people will be used to it mm. and I'll be able to skirt by undetected. I mm-hmm. see you've still slid a piece of paper under the toupee that says press, which looks yeah. weird sticking <laughs> out from what I assume is yeah. your real hair. Yeah, it's not. You can't see the yeah, full yeah. text though. It actually the full text mm. is depressed. Yeah, uh, right. yeah, yeah. There's a second <laughs> piece of hair that covers the <laughs> duh at the bottom. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, sweeping yeah. under. You've had to comb yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Ironically, Tommy is the only one of us that is actually wearing a hat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is that is great insight for the yeah. listener. I'm sure they could have pieced that one together by themselves, but <laughs> let it be known that. I am I, I am wearing a hat. I'm I've gone for the um the the unconventional um for for obvious reasons move mm. of the hat underneath the bulky headphones, the hat mm-hmm. being trapped, sealed over their head. Normally you'd wear a hat the over the bulky headphones. headphones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Normally you'd pick one or the other, but you know, in these in these strange and uncertain times, mm. I'll be damned if I'm giving you two the satisfaction of seeing the glint on my little forehead in your Zoom windows there. Uh, what I the only glint I can see in the is the glint in my own eye here in the Zoom call because mm. we're talking about a subject that I really like, which is naming exactly what year certain video games came out. Oh, you love that, yeah. don't you? That's your <laughs> It's not necessarily like anything about the games or opinions on them, although you do have them, but your special subject in Jeopardy would be, what year did that game come out? <laughs> Give me those four numbers <laughs> that denote which calendar yeah. year, Roman calendar. Do we use the Roman calendar? Gregorian, I, I think it's called. I, Is the, uh, no, surely Roman, because we've got Julius and Augustus in there. They wedge their way in. Yeah, but what about, what about, uh, what about May? Yeah, I, well, I don't know who May was, but I'm assuming <laughs> she was a, another dictator or whatever back in ancient mm. times Gregorian uh, yeah we're doing oh, Mar- uh, March is uh, Mars the uh, Roman god of war so oh okay. yeah 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 and there's no month of Gregory so I doubt he's still around <laughs> uh we're doing <laughs> so uh, I think just the for the is, listeners who are tweeting at us it we do use the Gregorian calendar I, do, I don't know why it's called that but uh you can't tell fact. me which calendar to use I use the Roman. I'm always, I'm days late, <laughs> regularly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Co- yeah, isolation's only been going for three days as far as the calendar that I follow is concerned. Oh, okay. So I don't know what everyone's complaining about. In the Roman calendar that I follow, it's been the month of coughing in public. So I've been following my calendar, oh, going out and okay. doing that right. as much as I can. Uh, what we're, what we're, so this will be for the next not this, forget all that what just happened there, but what we're doing for the next six weeks <laughs> is we're going to Six cover... weeks Gregorian? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, okay. 12 weeks yeah. Roman. Uh, <laughs> we did... So at the end of last year, we did like the best games of the last decade of the 2010s, mm. and that was really fun. So while there's a bit of a lull and stuff coming out, while we're kind of stuck here uh, with, you know, bits and pieces of news, but, you know, it, it really feels like a, a trickle... We're going to open the floodgates to 
the history of video games and cover everything from the 1980s up through the 2000s. Mm. And I am excited to do it. I'm excited to talk yeah. absolute shit about things that I wasn't there for and <laughs> yep. completely get the facts wrong about <laughs> video games from the 1970s, none of which I've played or have any interest in playing. Mm. Yeah, when, I, when yeah. were you born? You're born 1990, aren't you, Knox? 89. You 89, okay, you just sneak in there, you yep. cheeky little devil. <laughs> I'm an 80s boy. Uh, you, when, when were you both born? I was 87. I'm 86. So the next two weeks, we're covering like the 70s and the 80s. So this is proper historian work. Mm. This is real shit of like, we weren't alive for while this was happening. So there's no real difference between us and the people who study ancient Egypt. This is pretty much important historian work. I mean, I'd like to think that they do more than just skimming a Google document 15 minutes before they start recording, but yeah. well, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I, one of the historians... Clear parallels. One of the historians had to write the Google document, but uh, <laughs> yeah, well, don't worry yeah, about him. Of course, of course. Of course. No, but yes. I mean, you, you really I, you'd like to think... But you'd like to think that those historians are sharing the load is what I mean. And that, you sure. Know, they're, they're, there weren't any like passengers in there just kind of coasting off the hard work of one of their co-historians. But just keep mm. in mind mm. that it's mm. you don't want to undersell the work that one of the historians had to put in to comb through a Wikipedia article and mm. then yeah. copy-paste that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. I mean, at I, least that you know, historian did maybe... already have the, the gift, the, the God-given gift of knowing what year certain things came out. Yeah. That cannot yes. be overstated or overlooked. My first word yeah. was was 1991 when somebody asked me when Super Mario World came out. <laughs> I don't know why they asked that to a baby. I also don't know why hey, baby, they asked that. Old. That baby would have been two at the time, I believe. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want to yeah, check that that came out in 1991 four. as well. <laughs> I think you're right. I think this you're is, dead right. This is a great uh, credentials Fuck check Fucking 1990. Fucking well. oh, 1990. Really? I've already... Oh, wow. wow. Okay, this... This throws the whole conceit of this episode <laughs> off its axis. Yeah. No, but it'd be 1990 Japan, 1991 Europe. So I was in Europe, so fucking fuck off. Okay. 92 Europe, 91 America. I can... <laughs> <laughs> I'm recusing myself great. from the rest of this podcast. This is, the hist- this is the ancient Egyptian historians going like, nah, but time kind of worked a bit differently back then. So yeah, it, it, yeah, I actually yeah, would have been yeah. right with what I was saying. Yeah, actually, if you... The, the way that Ramses talked about years, actually yeah, 1991 yeah, yeah. is when Ramses yeah. would have thought Super Mario World came out. <laughs> it was based so. on the high tide of the Nile River, not the uh, seasons. And Gregory hadn't even invented the calendar yet, so you can't yeah. really judge things the same way. So I'm actually right about everything because I'm in denial. That's that's what makes me right about everything. Oh, yep. yeah. 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 Ladies yeah. and gentlemen, welcome Very to... <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen the Adam Knox jaunty little dance over Zoom yet. I haven't <laughs> fucked, fucked a joke as hard as Denial in, in a few months. So why, why would I have had occasion to, jan- to dance? Um, um, so yeah, yeah, we're going back to, to sort of the 70s and 80s will be the bulk um, of today's episode. We're not going all the way through the 80s and we're actually starting before the 70s, but that'll be sort of, you know, that's, that's where most of the games are for, for today's episode. Uh, should we start with a little prehistory, though? Yeah, I think because yeah. I think the title will be 
1980s part one or something like that but we're going to cover mm-hmm. up to the first half of the 80s but yep. as is always the case with history to understand what is going on in the modern day you must mm. get context from the past and so to yes. understand what is going on with the year 1980 we need to look further back to the year 1950 something The Second World War was over, and uh, at, at, in some uh, number of years previously, uh, the West was booming. Um, mm-hmm. the, the American nuclear family was a big thing. Um, alcoholic men were coming home to their wives and th- yelling at them. Um, <laughs> what a different world. You know, classic. Classic 50s stuff. Uh, that old nostalgia. World War Two all- was over, and... Uh, <laughs> World War Two was over, and a lot of men were thinking, "God, I wish I could sit in my living room and pretend that I was in World War Two, mm. and just let rip with some slurs at yeah. other people <laughs> yep. while I'm pretending to relive this experience." Yes, where, where yeah. is the device for me? <laughs> yeah. One day we'll have well, we the technology. <laughs> yeah, one day we will. Currently, um, we could offer you maybe uh, a game of tennis. Would that help? Mm-hmm. Sort of. Um, those feelings, those emotions would help you have that to sort of outlet. It's a, it's a bit like <laughs> yeah. a war, I guess. Yeah. 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 Tennis is kind of a, a war. Mm. Yeah. So that was, I, I, in my head, space war is like the thing people always say is like the first video game, which mm-hmm. was like, uh, uh, basically asteroids, I think, but multi for two player and you, you, spun your little thing around it was on university big fucking computers of you know the 60s whenever space war was made but there was an earlier video game the actual technically the first video game was 1958 something like that Uh, it might have been even early it might have been 52 what was Uh, what was it called tennis for two i believe is the first Sort of game that actually resembles a game because there was other ones like uh, print, <laughs> like they were on computers, but they had sort of like print card readouts and shit like that. So it wasn't mm. uh, really a game that you would lump in with what we consider a video game. Um, I, and and the tennis for two thing, which is what it's called when you uh, give head to Andre Agassi. Is mm-hmm. when you're 69 with Andre Agassi. I mean, he needs to be giving <laughs> yeah, you yeah, 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 he, yeah. He has to be giving you head at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Otherwise, yeah, it's yeah. just <laughs> a, a nice, ga- a generous tennis is what they call it. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, love all is the other way for, of describing it. I William Higginbotham, uh, Bill to his friends, was mm-hmm. made tennis. William for two. Bill. Well, he, well, you don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to call him Bill. Yeah, it was a bunch yeah. of physicists. Could have been Higo. Mm. Uh, it was Brooke- 58 you were, yeah yeah i looked it up 6 minutes ago but the <laughs> the brook the brookhaven national laboratory open house is where mm. pong debuted after that right so i'm looking at two different things but either way uh, tennis for two on like an oscilloscope two little dots making another mm. dot bounce between them the very first actual video game there've been arcade games and stuff like that with physical contraptions where you like turned a wheel to move a physical uh, car that was just on like a, uh, a, a right. pin to make it yeah. dodge uh, mechanical uh, things coming at it. There, there, there were arcade games that 
very closely resembled what digital arcade games would do later. Right. So, but this is the first video game, video game. Parlor games, I yep. guess they used to call them. Oh, uh, yep, 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 sure. But yeah, so an, an oscilloscope for anyone who doesn't know and can't picture that, it kind of looks like a radar screen. If you've seen like, you know, a movie about a submarine in the Cold War, it's like this circular thing with sort of grids and dots and, and bright lights. Um, very, very simple, obviously. It's monochromatic. Uh, it looks, yeah, it's strange. I kind of... I don't. I didn't imagine it to look. It's like got dials and t- switches around the edge. Yeah. Like it's very, very. It looks like a piece of wartime technology. Honestly, I think the oscilloscope, and I might be wrong here, and if I am, someone will definitely tell me. But I think they're generally used to measure electrical current coming into it, and to be able to like they give you a little ah. a, a um like a sound wave looking thing, right? Like a, right. Like a mm-hmm. wobbly sine wave to tell mm-hmm. you how strong a current is, something like that. Or maybe that's just how you control the display of an oscilloscope. But yeah, very old tube technology, like a circular Mm. display. And you you played a bit of uh, essentially influence. Mm. The influence of the oscilloscope can be seen still in modern video games today. Anytime you have to use the left stick to control one part of the frequency and the right stick to control another part of the frequency and match them up in order to unlock a puzzle. Yeah. There's like a little... Cheeky tip of the cap to, yeah. to the thing that started it all. Yeah, Not a lot of people yeah. know it, but Batman Arkham Asylum t- technically runs on an oscilloscope in parts. <laughs> <laughs> um, a fun fact as well for, for all the listeners, this is something I found out from my uh, from my digging. Uh, you usually see a sine wave uh, when he's saying hello to Newman. So... <laughs> oh. To ne- sign... How... I. <laughs> I'm unable to piece that together. <laughs> a s- like Seinfeld? You know when, yeah, when Seinfeld waves. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. but sine wave would be like <laughs> no. when, you, when you say hello to like a, I get, a, a yeah. stop sign that's come to life or something. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Or like... Uh, uh, yeah, and also he doesn't wave at Newman. He, you know, he... He sees Newman. He just wants him out of his apartment. Yeah, there's, no, there's barely one of the biggest no, things like, about their relationship uh, is that it's icy. I've never, I've never <laughs> seen the show. So, <laughs> and you've never read the <laughs> full title going, of the show. Hello, either. Newman. <laughs> <laughs> never gotten far enough to realise that there's a feld at the end of Sign yeah. as well. <laughs> <laughs> you know those episodes where George is like, "Hey, Sign, what should we do today?" <laughs> Yeah, I call him Sign. Name on the show. Hey, Sign. (laughs) Uh, Uh, Just a fun fact I found out in my research. That's all. Just wanted to add that to the discussion. Right. Sorry, sorry to shoot the messenger. Yeah, there was mainly uh, that sort of game for the next like twenty years. So it was like yeah, or or at least ten or fifteen. Things made on like big fucking university computers that were all networked together and that were the only computers in the world at that time powerful enough mm. to do anything like mm-hmm. this. The Oregon Trail was another one that is like still talked about today that was made on a university computer. Yeah. Uh, that Space War one, things like that. But as you got into the 70s, arcade games started becoming a thing. And these are ones when you get into the 70s, Pong came out in 1972. Breakout mm. in 76, uh, Space Invaders in 78, Galaxian in 79. Those are all ones that you still are s- like still emblematic of, of the idea of an arcade game. Yeah. The majority yeah. of people, if you ask them to, hey, quickly draw what you think an arcade game looks like. I Most people would draw like Space Invaders or Pac-Man, which is to come out in 1980. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think most people probably, I, I would say probably maybe the common perception is that, I guess Pong is the first video game, but like mainstream, like like that actually kind of feels like a game and has some degree of like story or whatever. Most people's brain probably goes to Space Invaders sure. in that it's got, you know, Pong is just like tennis, just a very, you know, crude simulation but Space Invaders has like a, you know, kind of a conceit to it and there's like an, an element of, you know, role playing and, you know, imagining that you are this man in a spaceship or whatever it is. Sure. And like it it progresses in difficulty as you move on throughout the level. There's mm. like the little mothership thing that will come over the top. There's there's different – but that's kind of like a side quest in modern terms. Mm. There, but there's lots of <laughs> more identifiably <laughs> – you know, video gamey shit happening in that. But then, like, the Oregon Trail is like a resource management simulator. And I was blown mm. away that that came out in 1971. That's something that, like, yeah, people were playing in schools in the US at least when they were... If they were our age, if we'd have grown up in the US, we'd have played the Oregon Trail back when we were kids in school in computer Well, that's the insane that thing about, like, uh, say, a breakout coming out in the early 70s is... There were games like, you know, like slightly updated, but barely updated versions of it that I was playing in the early 90s as a kid. Like right. that that mm. sort of span of time that that from the inception of games to, yeah, like when we were old enough to be aware of, you know, the world, games did not advance in a, a significant way, at least on the surface. Right. Or there was just, there was still... Uh, I guess it had turned, like, Breakout and Space Invaders and Pong and that sort of shit had turned into being a nostalgic thing by the time I was a kid. So they were still right, around, yeah. but in the same way that you like fucking SNES minis or your PlayStation Classics or whatever are around now, mm. it mm. was maybe closer to yeah, that. Yeah, you'll still, you'll still today, like, be in a fish and chip shop and see one of those, like, tabletop machines that's got, like, 20 of the games loaded on it. Yeah, mm. someone chucking twenty cents in to have a game of Space Invaders. Well, because still like, at it's still out there. And mm. most of these, I don't think they were really dedicated arcades or anything at this point. They probably were in some places, but a lot of these were in like the corner of a pub and that sort of thing. They were they yes. were yes. put in there the same way like a pinball machine would be, where it was a little entertainment thing mm. in a general entertainment venue. Video games weren't really their own uh, kind of unique or, or or separate thing that people would focus on in the way that they do yeah. now yeah yeah i know my like dad it's funny that i know hey. my dad was like one of the people who was really into pinball and he he was born in 1960 so um by the time he was getting into pubs it was 1974 and he was yeah. playing but he he was like you know played pool and played pinball and played pong like he was he was super into those sort of things, like you mentioned parlor games before, Knox, but like pub games, something to play, you know, while you're waiting for your palmer to be served. Uh, yeah, I know they were just like chucking a... I wonder how much they cost to play, actually. I, I don't know. I don't know, but there's nothing better than going out on a Saturday night in 1978 and having a bit of a parlor and a palmer. <laughs> oh, yes. God, I would love to go to a pub with a fucking anything there. Who cares about... Fuck the video games. I would love to go to a pub again. <laughs> so yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. How good would that be? I'd love to be in a room that's not this one. Yeah, that's yeah. sick. Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice to yeah. just interact with anyone? Anyway, the, the, yeah, the 70s had some video games sort of and... Mm. More significantly to like the modern day, I would say, is that the Atari 2600 
was launched in the 1970s. That yeah, motherfucker yeah. came out in like 77, I believe. And so that there there had been other home consoles at that point. I mean, maybe we're getting away from ourselves here. Well, maybe we'll talk about that later. But a lot of stuff started happening in the 70s is the point. So to talk about the 80s, mm. you have to talk about the 70s. If you dare fucking say <laughs> anything about the 80s to me without talking about the 70s first, I'm walking away. <laughs> Can I just say it's very funny that like one of the fir- like the first game as we talked about before is tennis for two. Mm. First of all, that's just tennis. It's just called tennis. Yeah, that's yeah. default tennis. Yeah. yeah, and so then one of the very next ones that gets made is pong. Essentially mm. the same thing. Like mm. I imagine anyone on the ground at the time going. Okay, so is this all we're going to ever use this technology for? <laughs> yeah. is this, imagine if yeah. imagine if people had never gotten out of that rut and we're still now we've got these like we've all got like an Xbox and a Switch and a PlayStation 4 is like powerful consoles, but all that's coming out on it is just different <laughs> tennis games. It's still like people I, scratching their heads going, there must be some other way to use this tech. There's <laughs> the fact as well that like the first game was tennis for two and then Pong came along, completely stole its ideas and got way way bigger. Things are still exactly the same as that in video games today. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Pong, Pong's Pong, Fortnite. Pong is the Fortnite to to tennis yeah. for two's <laughs> PUBG. Yeah, completely. It's just then, always been the way it is. Activision released yeah. badminton uh, for the Commodore sixty four. Yeah, and everyone has to... played that for about three months. I guess you have to pay a, buy a second arcade game to unlock mm. the, the the badminton rackets. You have yeah, to have the two yeah. machines sitting there next to each other. The uh, second one was called... Um, I can't think of a thing for DLC <laughs> that could have worked in an old time, yep. but you, you get what I'm doing here. You get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, course. yeah, this was the, like, peak, peak, peak-ass peak of arcade mm. games in the public consciousness, really, because you had... So uh, there were, like, these home consoles coming out, like the Magnavox Odyssey, which... Mm-hmm. I have really very little knowledge of any of these types of very old pre-Atari consoles. A lot of them played just one game on them. So you'd buy a thing or it might have like six games that you could switch between and one of them used a gun and whatever. Um, But you had stuff sort of starting to bubble up. But when the 80s hit, arcades got massive. So we've talked about the 70s enough for me. That'll do. We've paid it its due. Yep. It's time to move into the... The, the <laughs> bright lights and the loud mm. beeps of the yeah. 1980s arcade. Time to take the bell bottoms off, fellas, and put on <laughs> the uh, uh, acid wash. Yeah, acid wash jeans. Leather, acid leather wash? pants? Yeah. Were, the, were leather... Was, <laughs> where was the 80s? Depends where you were going yeah, in the, the 80s, open, Yeah, the open leather jacket with nothing on underneath. Yeah, yeah. the classic yeah. 1980s yeah. arseless a, chaps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they never go out of style. <laughs> <laughs> They're timeless. Yeah. <laughs> if the photos I've seen of my parents in the 80s are anything to go by, the highest fashion was the strap-on. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone was wearing them back then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so 1980 rolls around and mm. in comes uh he is using his mouth I guess to propel himself in comes the big boy of arcade games, Mr. Pac-Man. 
comes along in 1980 and this is when because I think Space Invaders was maybe the one that was responsible for like there was a coin shortage in Japan I believe yeah yeah people were playing Space Invaders so much that they were like they started running out of whichever coin it was that ran that machine then Pac-Man came along and they called it Pac-Man Fever at the time because it was this huge sensation everyone was into Pac-Man they made like those you remember in the 1980s how they made like those gimmick songs about just things that were big at the time? Mm. There were like joke songs oh, yeah, about yeah. Star Wars and there was one that was like Star Trekking across the universe. Yes. On the yep. Starship Enterprise yep. under Captain Kirk. It was the time when Weird Al could get away with it. Mm-hmm. He didn't do any of those as much, but like yeah. just a bunch of the those gimmick songs. The TikTok of its day. Yeah. There was a, there was a, a, a song called Pac-Man. People were big into fucking Pac-Man. And you can see why when you mm-hmm. put it in the context of these games that have come before it, Pac-Man is a bit of a leap forward. Absolutely. I also think, yeah. I mean, we, we haven't c- comprehensively covered every game from the 70s, but... There's no way to Pac-Man, do it. Pac-Man? <laughs> no. <laughs> we'll never do it. <laughs> There's no way anyone could do it, so why bother trying? Um, why bother even making a podcast that was about any decade <laughs> of gaming? Because it's too much. <laughs> it's too hard. Uh, none of those games, at least, that we talked about, and especially the biggest ones, um, had a character, like a personification sure. or, or a marketable yeah. thing at the forefront. Like Space Invaders had a an idea and a style to it. Uh, Pong had nothing, like we've said, really. Um, Oregon mm-hmm. Trail was, you know, its own. It's a, it's a setting and it's it's a it's a historical game. But Pong, uh, Pac Man, sorry, was the first game to have a mascot. Yeah, yeah. Nice little painting of him on the side of the cabinet. Like, mm. you know, that thing where the graphics are so simplistic that, yeah, on the cabinet you can really wild out with the visual style and, mm. you know, really, really give that impression. Like, I, I always remember that as a kid, like seeing the, you know, walking up to the machine and seeing those representations on the side of it and then sort of bit like kind of it, it helping to paint the picture in my head a bit but kind of being like, man, I wish it actually looked like this. I wish sure. I could actually see this little guy running around instead of just a shape. It's also, I think, it might be one of the first uh, games that has a, a sense of real AI to it. Like, Space Invaders is kind of on a pattern, more mm. or less, isn't it? Whereas um, the way these ghosts kind of chase you around, that probably felt at the time pretty pretty revolutionary in terms of the, the difficulty and the challenge. Sure, I could, I could yeah, I can agree with that. Because, like, Galaxian kind of had the... It was the same as Space Invaders, but with... Um, they would have different uh, little enemies up the top and they would do different sort of attacks, but they were kind of pre-baked in the same way. Mm. But yeah, yeah, Pac-Man was, it changed every time you played it because like you said, those ghosts were, uh, they've got really, really simple AI routines. I I remember Mm. reading about it once. I don't remember exactly what they are now, but like one of them is just programmed to always try to get to the block in front of you. One of them is always programmed Mm -hmm. to try and get to three blocks behind you and then go away. So stuff like that. But they've got really mm, simple behaviors right. that when you put the four of them together creates this, you know, very emergent experience mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I, I and agree. And you're in these little narrow corridor kind of things like they're chasing you down it, which all the other ones take place like Space Invaders. And, you know, you're in this bigger space and you can kind of you can kind of dodge out of the way a bit more freely. But that feeling in Pac-Man of like if you're if you just take a wrong turn and you're like you're cornered by one of these ghosts, it's just such an intense feeling. Mm, right. Which, yeah, unique yeah. for the time. Uh, you could you could 
see, and it might be a longbow to draw, but you could you could make a line appear between Pac-Man and the likes of Doom or even like a Resident sure. Evil or whatever where you've got mm, that for sure. sense of being chased and the claustrophobia and all that. So, yeah, I could see that. Mm-hmm. And then having, having the addition of, so you get in the little pellets, but then when you get those big pellets and you can eat the ghosts, that's mm. a great thing to put in there where you suddenly have power over these enemies. Mm. It's, yeah. a, it's a good game. And it fucking blew up enormously over the rest of the 80s. <laughs> yeah. You get Miss Pac-Man and Baby Pac-Man and all these other ones. And a lot of um, Namco's arcade games were built off of that same board that they used for Pac-Man. So if you look at a bunch of other um, Namco video games, you can see that they look similar to Pac-Man in the, in the way that the graphics are presented. So it was definitely uh, a big hit-up. Mm. Uh, 1980 right. as well in the arcades, you had like Missile Command... And uh, Battlezone was, I remember my dad telling me that Battlezone was like incredible at the time because it had the first that he'd seen at least sort of 3D. They were vector-based graphics where, have you seen Battlezone mm-hmm. with like the lines that draw, they're like little wireframe oh. models that make these tanks appear? Yeah, this is sick. Like, uh, yeah, sort of green green lines on black. Yeah, polygonal vector graphics, 3D essentially. Yeah. And you're yeah. in inside of a big tank, and I believe the cabinet for this had you sitting there with like a big joystick and Ugh. rotating it around. Because that was the other thing that I do miss about the arcades and the way that they don't exist today. And you mm. got more and more of this as the 80s went on, but the big fucking cabinets where you would have to sit down and yep. pretend to be in a race car. Like in 1982, <laughs> yeah. pole, pole position came out, which yes. was yep. one of the, I think maybe the first kind of behind the back racing games and mm. you would sit there in your cabinet and you would drive around and you'd you'd love 1982 <laughs> you'd just be all about the mm. year 1982 duran duran <laughs> who's that i think you wouldn't even know at the time <laughs> what a time um but uh, just touching on tommy your um fascination and, and love of the pac-man arcade cabinet itself and the and the 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 drawings on it and the sort of the that extra level of, of imagination it, it sparked. I looked up the Pong cabinet, the original Pong cabinet. Um, now, this is the first game. It's incredibly simplistic. If you're making a cabinet for it, you can put anything on that cabinet you want to maybe evoke, you know, tennis or a fun t- party. It's it's a blank yep. cabinet. It's just a wood grain blank cabinet with like a mustard <laughs> front plate. It couldn't be less evocative. I, I, uh, you don't even have to cook anything up. It's all there yeah, for you. Yeah. The, the iconography, the style, the colors, it's mm. all just there. Re- Space Invaders, you've got to, oh, okay, well, what, you know, what, what's an, what, what can we make an alien look like? You've mm. got to do a bit of work. But, mm. yeah, it's Pong. It's all laid out for you. That's a shame. Uh, to be fair, yeah. in, you know, coming out of the 70s, fuck, they loved a bit of wood grain back then. Yeah, oh, it looks like a car true. that my dad would have owned. <laughs> it really the, does. Yeah. <laughs> so does the like the original Atari consoles as well. Yes, yeah, grain as hell. Yeah, and it looks pretty cool. Bring nowadays. that back. Yeah, why not? Mm. Well, because it doesn't actually look good. The fucking wallpaper that you had in the seventies was so awful. Uh, you know that yeah. like mm. the the just like faded color, shitty mm-hmm. uh, pattern thing. I don't even know what the type of pattern it's called, but you know what I mean. Go watch that seventies yep. show. You'll see it. <laughs> but uh, further into the into the eighties, Nintendo starts really amping up their game. I think they put out some shit mm. beforehand, little um, individual uh, 
consoles or something like that Nintendo had put out early days. But in the 80s in the arcade, they started really hitting hitting big. They put out Donkey mm. Kong. They put out mm-hmm. uh, the original Mario Brothers, Balloon mm-hmm. Fight, Punch-Out!, you got all of those sort of things coming out of Nintendo in the eighties, so they're 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 big dicks swinging around. Is Donkey Kong? That's got to be their first big hit, right? I think so. Yeah. 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 And Donkey Kong, in a lot of ways, was the one that kind of became the the big sort of public consciousness game following Pac Man. Then you had Frogger mm. coming out. You had uh, things like Dig Dug and Burger Time. These pretty big. Burger sort Time of, is awesome. It's mm. so good. It's such a fun game. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it, so they, the arcades were like pretty innovative stuff like Qbert came out which was mm-hmm. fucking weird and I still don't understand what you're meant to do in Qbert to this day uh, it's more it's Me more either. of a puzzle yeah, game I've right? never gotten it yeah, uh, I've never yeah. understood it I think you're jumping around a 3D pyramid just trying to cover every square and there's enemies I think I'm not also not entirely sure but I watched a video of it before and I, I think that's what you were doing in it that's the magic of Qbert, though. No one knows. <laughs> if you're if you're one of the Qbert players, and he's swearing. Yeah, Qbert's got he's got that little asterisk right next to Q because he said mm, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Q Q fuckbert. Q fuckbert. Yeah. Um, laser or maybe it's Q. It could be spelled Q U N T, and maybe the U N T is. Oh yeah, like cunt. Yeah. Uh, nice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you had some uh, some of those laserdisc games start coming out around this time as well, which I think are uh, uh, really cool in like a you know historical artifact kind of way. Mm. Um, Quarter Horse was the first one. I don't know what much about what that is, but I think most people will recognize like Dragon's Lair and Space Ace yes. and yep. those kind of just hit the button when it flashes on the screen, or else a movie will play of you dying. Pretty yep. simple, pretty shit. But laserdiscs in general, I think, are so fucking funny that these existing at the time like that big fucking disc and they can't they coincided with the silliest era of movies as well so i've always mm. thought if i was like a multi-fucking millionaire or whatever i would get a laser disc collection and just, oh yeah oh <laughs> lethal weapon every day laser yes. disc edition <laughs> that'd be so good but those laser disc games were kind of cool oh my god and then um, you had... I'm just looking up the cabinet for uh, Quarter Horse. Yeah, me too. Sorry. Yeah. I got distracted by needing to find out what the fuck this is. Yeah, same. <laughs> that is a shit-looking cabinet. <laughs> it's awful. Yeah. And the game looks even worse. Well, I guess that's yeah. why Dragon Slayer was the one that came along. Here we go. Tommy's sharing his screen. And it's forced oh, shit, me to yeah. go full screen mode. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Look at this. It's another gross looking Three kinda, models to choose from. Yeah. <laughs> wooden wooden cabinet. Uh not mm. not appealing to the eye. Yeah. No. And it just looks like a horse racing like 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 TV vision of a of a race, of a horse race. I yeah. guess you just like bash on the uh the whip control probably. And it probably costs a quarter. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, those laserdisc games were kind of like cool as a as a, a side thing, but you know, mm. they weren't the main thing. Something big that started happening around this time as well is you got um, licensed games. So there was an arcade game for Tron that was massive and then a Star Wars arcade mm-hmm. game that I've actually played that is like the that the 3D vector graphics again, similar to Battlezone, and you go through like the fucking trench run and whatever. You do some stuff. Oh, yes. Stuff. Oh, cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've seen vision of that. Well, I mean, looking at um, Battlezone earlier, 
it made me think immediately of Tron. What year? I'm just going to look up. Tron came out two years after Battlezone the game came out, the film of Tron. Yeah, uh, and I think the, the arcade yeah. game came out just before the movie did even. Right, yeah, right. And I think, I guess with the Tron arcade game, I think you were doing the motorbike racing where the, oh, you, sure. you'd leave the, the sort of solid coloured walls behind you mm. and mm. you'd crash into them or not. Um, what do you other- think the development time is on these games back in the day? Well, for these arcade ones, probably, you know, not a tiny short amount of time, but we'll mm. talk about later how it was pretty easy to shit out a bunch of 80s video games in the early <laughs> yeah. 80s. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I don't think it was... I mean, obviously, it was nowhere near comparable to what you do today. A lot of these games had one person make them or five people mm. or whatever. Yeah, I guess the hardest part of something like a Donkey Kong would have been that like you're doing kind of this thing for the first time. So probably a big bulk of it is just the trial and error of just testing it and being like, oh right. shit, this makes him fall through the floor. Well, okay. um, yeah. With arcade games as wrong. well, they've got to have like hardware engineers working on it because you're physically making a new board. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a very different process to making a game today. Making arcade games in general was, was different because they had... I've I've started reading about this recently for some reason, but like, so that they companies. So for example, Namco made the Pac-Man board that was for Pac-Man, mm. but then a bunch of other games that Namco put out after that were based on that same board and can just run on the same board. So they were manufacturing a Pac-Man board and then reprogramming it to be fucking whatever else they wanted to put out. Mm. Similar with um, Capcom did a similar thing with. Uh, I don't know if 1942 was the board, but they had these things called like the Capcom Play System. CPS 1, 2, and 3, and that mm. would be the jumping off point for every game that came out during a certain era of Capcom putting out right. arcade games. Um, and yeah, 1942 it's came out in 84, and that was one of the first... Funny to think of... Uh, shoot 'em up games. Sorry. No, I'm just talking about Capcom's start. Capcom started at some point. There you go. <laughs> yep. And they had a big hit with 1942. But confusingly, it came out in 1984. I mean, yeah. like, what, year, what year is it? Well, currently it's 2020. I did have to think about that for a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I nearly said 2019. God, imagine. Mm. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> Take me back. Mm. Uh, anyway, sorry, Tommy, what were you going to say? I just It's funny to think of... Um, it taking a little while to work out that they could reuse boards for multiple mm. games, as it, you know, as if it's a comparable thing like in making movies and just like building a new camera every time you make a new motion picture. Like, I get, yeah, just computers and shit were different at the time. Like the, mm. the the rapid change in how computer technology worked from 1980 through to like 2000, the, those two decades in particular was fucking enormous. And probably through to 2010 as well. I feel like, and maybe I'm wrong, but things have like slowed down a little or just gotten to be, there's there's been a very um, obviously viewable upgrade path that you could have quite handily mm-hmm. predicted in 2010. Mm. But to be in 1980 and to imagine what things would have been like in 2010, 30 years later is unbelievable. Yeah, I guess the fact that like to be, you could be in 1980 and not be able to accurately predict what things would be like in 1983. Is yeah. sort of like that's the, I mean, to, yeah that's I, maybe that's fucking crazy as well because like we kind of just mentioned to be in 2019 and predicted how 2020 would have gone. <laughs> uh, 
no yeah. way of doing it. And if I, if I hadn't <laughs> yeah, been able to do yeah. it, I would have behaved differently. For <laughs> <laughs> but I would have become a karate champ so that I could learn to fight. Speaking of which, karate champ uh, was like the first fighting game that ever come, came out, basically. So I think that's yeah, kind of right. Cause, yeah, because uh, like I arcades, think. When, when you ask people to, like, I reckon if you ask people now to name what the first video game was, if they're under 30, I don't know what they would name. Maybe they would guess Mario Brothers. Maybe they would guess Street Fighter. Because those are, and, and, and yeah, I guess if you're a bit older, you say Pac-Man, maybe you guess Pong. But something like Street Fighter ha- has come to symbolize video games. Especially with arcade mm. stuff and especially, especially with fighting games. Like mm. Street Fighter 2 is the one. So it's ages yeah. until fighting games become the thing that they are going to become. And Karate yeah. Champ, yeah, just significant for being one of the one of the early examples of that. So you had a mm. lot of innovation, a lot of different uh, games that are all trying to s- kind of have their own thing and, and stick out from one another. Like the difference mm-hmm. between Frogger and Dig Dug and Dragon's Lair is huge. Compared yeah. to like yeah. if you compare Call of Duty and Battlefield and PUBG and whatever these days like maybe the bigger games that there are, they're all trying to do different versions of the same thing. But back in these early arcade days, everyone's kind of trying to come up with their own idea, do something new, figure out a, yeah. a, a new thing, to, a new path to walk down. Everything new that comes out is like a new genre. And yeah, that's mm. the thing I've always loved about these, uh, these, uh, these old games is like the idea of the developers sitting down and thinking like, okay, what's a hook? It's just basically mm. like... One one idea, one really simple idea that's really easy to latch onto, that then just yeah ratchets up in uh, difficult. Frog is one of my favourites of all time. Mm. Frog is so good. And then compare that to fucking Pong, you know, thing, mm. things change and and people are being very creative with it now. And I guess yeah, the the amount of effort it takes to make a big arcade game versus what at the time was a little bit easier making a home console game or uh, a computer game is responsible for what happened in like the home console market in the coming years because um yeah separate to the arcade the home console market is going massively being led by the big old atari 2600 yeah big dog atari still got all that that uh, that bank from inventing Pong, right? Atari yeah. published Pong, so they have this this yeah pile of money, and they decide, oh, we're going to be the next, we're going to be the innovators in home video games, and yeah, bang, the twenty six hundred hits the market, and they did it. Like there were a bunch of them, th- things that you haven't even fucking heard of these days, called like the Fairchild Channel F and the Bally mm. Astrocade. <laughs> like they had competition. <laughs> yep. Things that I have heard of called the Intellivision and the Vectrex, things like that. There were other people trying to get the same market, but Mm. Atari had that brand name recognition. You're right, Ben, from Pong and stuff like that. Uh, I think Centipede was them as well. Missile Commanders, maybe. Um, Mm -hmm. So people knew them. And then they did the swap the cartridge out. You can buy a new game. You've got your console and a new game is contained on a cartridge. They all work with Mm. this console and this controller. It's got wood grain. You fucking love that at the moment. <laughs> Here you go. Yeah. Um, did you ever have either of you ever played much of an Atari twenty six hundred? I don't think I've ever seen one in the flesh. No. 
Yeah. I I believe we owned maybe one of the later ones was like a 50 something or a 60 something hundred. They did um, a 5200 and a 76 or something hundred. 78 It might have been maybe maybe the 7800 cuz we also had a one of those like big 5 inch uh B drive floppy drive um peripheral attachments for the Atari that we had. Right. Uh, well, you might have had like an Atari ST or something then cuz they had home computers as well that were right uh, so they 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 met yeah i think the atari st was their equivalent to things like the commodore 64 and whatever which is a whole separate thing that we'll talk about later that all the computers and stuff in the 80s but yeah, yeah there were, there, this there was were definitely a, a console though right this this plugged into the tv uh and it just happened to have this massive library of games that we got from uh our cousins um whether or not these were legitimate uh games um mm. is up for debate uh, and I think if I was to try to debate that they were legitimate, I would lose the debate. But I, yeah, we had we had an Atari at home that plugged into the TV, and I played a bunch of games. I played Pitfall. Um, I played a lot of the classics uh, and and loved it. I think this was a time before we had bought uh, a Nintendo console. This was all we had, apart from like a really really shitty computer. Um, and it was in like it was just incredible. It was it was amazing. Yeah, plugging that thing into the into the RF port. Of your mm. of your TV into the aerial yep. socket, tuning it in. Oh yeah, uh, was was definitely really cool. And yeah, I had the exact same situation where some cousins gave us an Atari twenty six hundred way after mm. it being relevant. Uh, and we had Combat, which was a fucking great game. Combat was a two player game where you it had all these different modes on it that you like set. There was a mode button on the console, and you'd set different game types by pushing that. And so you could like play as two tanks shooting at each other, uh, planes shooting at each other, different amounts of planes. One could be like a massive bomber plane and then the other one was like three little fighters. It was really, really fun. And that was one of the first games that came out with it. It was a game called Adventure, which a lot of people consider to be like the first kind of RPG or adventure game. You're just a little block moving around and trying to find Mm. keys in a maze and then bring them back to a lock. Uh, Pitfall was great. Activision put out a lot of good things during the Atari 2600 years. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know this about Activision. They used to be people who worked for Atari and they got sick of it, splintered off, made Activision, and they were like one of the first big third-party publishers for consoles. And it hadn't really been done yeah, that right. much before. Mm. They started putting out fucking tons of stuff, uh, some of it good, some of it pure dog shit. And that was a, <laughs> a big problem with the 2600 is that, like you were saying before, I think Tommy... It was so easy to make games. It was so easy to put them out there. You could do it so quickly and so cheaply that people mm. absolutely fucking did and flooded yep. the market with these dog shit games and like a lot of really poor, poorly made ports of um, arcade games like Pac-Man that mm. fucking sucked on the Atari. Were quite expensive at the yeah, time as and well. There's, and there's no real like copyright being enforced with this kind of stuff. So aren't people are just like making their own versions of stuff that already exists yeah. and getting it onto the shelves in an effort to just like basically trick people into buying their shoddy, rushed out, inferior version. There's it's, too many games. All of a sudden there's too many games on the shelves. It's the fucking Wild West at this point. Mm. Like I, you'd, you'd buy fucking Pac-Mate. At, at your computer yeah. shop And you'd be like This is Pac-Man Like no he's Pac-Man He's Australian Pac-Man He eats fucking beers Or whatever Yeah And Yeah there was a lot of Just Awful awful shit Put out on it There's a game called Custer's Revenge 
where oh yeah you play like a an old west fucking i guess cowboy guy and the point of the game is to sexually assault native american women it's mm. and then at some point people are going like maybe uh, we're sick of we're sick of this we're sick of all these games you're putting out here yeah, uh, that that game particularly is worth bringing up because it led to a lawsuit about um, that game and 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 how much how easy it was for people to be able to put out third party sort of licensed products. Right. So that game in particular, because it created a bit of an uproar, as you can imagine, mm. led to some restrictions on who could put out games. But the damage was already largely done by Atari itself. It's a very famous thing with them putting out ET and printing. Yep. Millions and millions of copies of it. The game being <laughs> shit. No one wanting to buy it. And then for some bizarre fucking reason, <laughs> after I'm assuming like a 12-hour meeting and empty Chinese can, you know, delivery <laughs> yeah. boxes everywhere, someone goes, why don't we just fucking bury them in the desert? And they meant it sort of as, <laughs> yeah. a, as an extreme joke. But then everyone's yeah. eyes kind of lit up and they fucking mm. did that. A bizarre ending to that whole... Su- like, the, the Atari 2600 burned very brightly and then mm. everyone fucked it off and got sick of it all at once seemingly to the point where they called it a yeah. video games crash and thought the industry itself was dead yeah yeah so before the next wave comes in there's a lot of uh there's a lot of uh, problems mm. because retailers been have been burnt retailers are all of a sudden left with all these games that no one wants anymore they were flying off the shelves and now they've just got all this excess stock that they can't shift. So right. th- they're all a bit like, fuck video games. We don't, you know, we, we don't want anything to do with it. It's, and it, this, it this, this was fun while it lasted, but this little fad is over now. Mm. And exactly. And you can see how it seemed like a fad because it had only been going for a few years. There was like the mm. fucking dumbass songs about Pac-Man and whatever. I could absolutely see at the time people going like, yeah, cool. We had our three, four, five years of fun but Mm. these are shit now. And they were right. Video games had turned shit on the biggest medium for them, which was the Atari 2600. And there was just so much fucking schlock being put out that they were completely just... People... It made sense for people to get sick of them. Totally. From, like, the, the, the year 1971 to the year 1984, five, or four, we'll say, there was maybe, like... 10 essential games that you really would enjoy playing, right? Like there were, Mm. there was like uh, those four or five genuinely unique ones that invented genres almost. And then there were some other sort of fun variations, but for the amount of like games that were released and, and shoveled onto shelves, the, the, the percentage that were worth playing was, it was like one or 2%. By the nature of what these games were at the time too, I think there's an argument to be made that you would just get sick of doing the same sort of high score chasing, like, oh, I've mm. got to learn how to master this one. It, even though they were all different genres and different forms of that type of gameplay, there's a reason that now arcade games is like a style or a genre of games because these things are all mm. asking the same thing of you, which is to be put in this challenging position and to figure out the pattern usually that gets you through it. And even though there totally. were different variants of that, yeah, they all are similar in that way. And at that point as well, there were a lot of games that were just like, what if uh, we recreated billiards is as an arcade game or like right. a, a video game? What yeah. if we recreated tennis? And it's like, well, this isn't actually more fun than playing these physical games in person with your friends. It's right. a novelty, yeah. 
and it's cool, but yeah, you're right. This is not a sustainable um, pastime at that point, no. wasn't at least. No, I, like along the side as well, worth pointing out that Nintendo had started putting out their Game & Watches, mm-hmm. which were kind of the among the first handheld video games as well, which is kind of cool. I remember I had a yep. Bomb Sweeper and I had Popeye given from the same cousin. Ooh. And uh, they, were, they were pretty cool. I never um, played a Game yeah, & Watch. I had Greenhouse and I had uh, Snoopy Tennis that Nintendo <laughs> made. Snoopy Tennis for two a, is when a, you suck off Snoopy while you're in it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Greenhouse, which was one of the... Because there were two. There were like the single screen ones and then there were the ones that kind of like a clamshell thing that opened up yep. that went across two screens that were... that Again, for the time, was just like, oh my God. It was mm. incredible. And when they brought the DS out in like, what, 2004 later, everyone's like, oh, the fucking game and watch is back. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, so Nintendo were plugging along on the side with those things. And uh, working on their Famicom, which they put out. And that is the thing that kind of stopped the video game crash from happening properly, is that while mm-hmm. people were sick of these consoles, along the same, or around the same time in the 80s, but off to the side, you had video games on home computers. kind now this <laughs> the the pc master race back in the day <laughs> with those <laughs> enormous i cannot help but picture someone with enormous square but like rounded square glasses <laughs> and mm-hmm. they've got the very thick lenses in them they've got like sort of that that haircut where it all seems to sprout from the middle of the top of their head <laughs> yes <laughs> do you know what yeah. I mean? they're wearing like beige pants Beige mm-hmm. shirt, beige belt. Mm-hmm. They've got mm-hmm. a. They're on safari. Uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> but those those games and and the computers that were around in the early eighties kind of got the concept of the video game through that little patch in a way mm. because there was still proper innovation there and like the early origins of the concept of an indie scene. Yeah. Because uh, with the. Yeah. With these early computers, you that that whole idea of like a bedroom programmer or whatever, mm. that that's where these came from. This is stuff like so the Apple II was the one of the first kind of big, easily acquirable like consumer level products that you could write code on. Mm. And mm-hmm. uh, you, I remember I bought an Apple II from a, a, a school, um. Like some high schools had a like a garage sale and were giving away a bunch of old like school equipment. They had an Apple II there, and I bought it for like forty dollars with a whole bunch of fucking floppy disks. And oh wow, it was kind of cool. It had like a whole bunch of text adventures and like you know fucking tell Garfield what day it is if it's not Wednesday, <laughs> but it was yesterday, and it's not Friday, but it'll be Friday tomorrow. What day is it? Then you type in Thursday and Garfield will be like, oh, I don't mind Thursday. <laughs> but yeah, it was one answer he did not want to hear. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> but it was all, it, you know, pretty simple shit like that. I think big things people would know are like Zork. Yeah. Yep. Yep. One of the worst names for any entertainment product that's ever been made. <laughs> um, but then you had things like the Commodore 64 and the ZX Spectrum come along. And mm. they were... Hugely successful computers that 
also could play games. And that was the big, uh, the big thing is that the Atari 2600 didn't have any other function, but then these computers did. So it was easier to keep them in people's houses and keep, keep people's interest in them whilst also putting out these games. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I they're think not it, seen it, as a toy. They're seen as a... Yeah, like exactly. A, if you're a savvy yeah. tech person, yeah. An international yeah. business machine, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly helped um, me to p- uh, persuade my parents to get a computer. Uh, it's for work. You guys can type stuff up on it and you, there's word processing. And yeah, uh, there happens to be a game on there called Ski Free where you try to uh, get past the abominable snowman. But you know, like this is a legitimate mm-hmm. piece of technology for, for a family. Uh, it yeah. genuinely helped uh, a lot of people, I think, yeah. normalize video games. And the early 80s is the first time that these that having a computer in your house was really possible. Like these were mm. relatively cheap given what computers had been up until that point. So yeah. you could feasibly have a computer in the home, which was mind-blowing at the time, I assume. I was not alive, but I assume <laughs> that would have been cool. Uh, mm. Some of the big yeah. early like computer games, Wolfenstein, the original mm-hmm. one, which was like a stealth game. Yeah, um, yeah. Yep. Zork and those sort of text adventures. You had like Ultima and Wizardry and a bunch of other similar kind of computer RPGs that were like adaptations of Dungeons and Dragons and shit. They were very, very big mm. at the time. And also like Ultima and Wizardry came out, it were, were developed in the US and then would the direct influence for what created the genre that is now called a Japanese RPG, Final Fantasy and that sort of stuff was based off of people over in Japan playing these Western games, which I think is kind of cool. Mm. Yeah. Um, Elite was another big one where you could explore space, but nothing really happened, and that would later lead to <laughs> No Man's Sky. You, there was, oh. but you could. <laughs> oh yeah, very proud of himself. That was brave. <laughs> Thank you. I was very brave then. The um, <laughs> big thing about these, though, I I, I think, and, and the thing that got people through it was that they were easily and cheaply distributable. You could send them on a tape just like a cassette Mm. tape or a floppy disk or whatever. They were very cheap to uh, publish and literally anyone could code them. And so they did like Rareware started by making games for the ZX Spectrum back in the day. And it was just like those two brothers doing it in their bedroom. And Mm. there was a bunch of people like that, where it was like one person would make a game Prince of Persia, which is years away, but that was programmed by one person. Right. So yeah, the, the, the modern concept of an indie game that seemed like this kind of new thing that like, wow, look at what modern technologies allowed us to do was actually just a resurgence of an older thing from 20 years before indie games kind of started becoming a thing, which is kind of cool. Mm. Yeah. And the accessibility of the tools, which I guess kind of drifted away for a bit. Yeah. I get, well, yeah, we, I mean, so part of the crash, um, happening in games surviving means that they need to sort of start clamping down on the on the freedom of the availability of those tools but uh i think that's kind of what we're going to cover in next episode right because i think with a lot of with with a lot of these sort of things and more so with the future episodes i don't particularly think there's any point in us talking about the 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 pros and the cons of donkey kong that yeah. game yeah, is yeah, yeah. so simple yeah. and so well known that I don't think we have anything to add there. So this yeah. episode in no. particular is like, a, here's how we got up to the point where these much more significant sort of, or like um, much more modern examples of games came out because everything that happened pre sort of the NES does seem like a very different era to everything mm. post the NES. Yeah, so I think, I think everything, 
a broad definition of, of video games from the era we've covered is sort of like a, a new and exciting interactive experience where your actions cause things to happen on a screen. Uh, by the end of, of that experience, you will have revealed an 8-bit drawing of a naked woman. I feel like that encompasses <laughs> all of gaming up until about 1984. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much. And like, if you're if you're talking about the history of movies, no one's going back and rewatching fucking the story of the Kelly Gang for fun. Mm. It's ju- it's significant historically. But by the time yeah. you get to Gone with the Wind, you're like, okay, movies exist now. Let's get mm. going. Yep. Yeah. So we're still yeah. in that sort of yeah. formative time. I've yeah. never touched a Commodore sixty four or ZX Spectrum. I would absolutely love to fuck with yeah. those computers. And you can emulate all of this stuff Same, these days. Yeah. Mm. But so, yeah, the general sort of up until the the mid-80s, video games were, like you said, Ben, this new thing that blew up. People experimented a bunch, but then sort of lost their direction with. People weren't quite sure where mm. to go with it. There were a few yeah. innovators on, like, computers, in, independent people, but as an industry, it wasn't really clear what direction to move in or who was going to spearhead that direction and next mm. week, I think we'll be doing a lot of talking about Nintendo for once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now you can yeah, find out why Tommy's point. so obsessed with them. <laughs> <laughs> up until this point, it's been, uh, yeah, the, the kind of the um, the end of this little chapter is that the experience of games are, for the most part, this very um, repetitive, like high score focused mm. with some exceptions but in talking about the the strength of the arcades and the, you know everything everything that comes out is kind of just like yeah a little simple idea where you're just trying to be a bit more successful at it each time and it right. like resetting at the start and then yeah so in terms of working out where it should go from here then yeah there's like a there's like a big leap to be taken and the, mm. you know, bits of these rpgs kind of filtering in but we need to take a leap do we well then how are we going to take a big leap we'd need some sort of a jump man <laughs> tune in next week yeah. folks and you'll understand what that was about <laughs> no, he's, he was in donkey kong we already talked about that well he's coming back he's on his own <laughs> oh, okay oh, okay yeah, yeah. Sweet. he's yeah, sort cool. of he is but he's also sort of not like oh okay yeah yeah right <laughs> nah, okay, he's coming back it was it's confusing it uh, that's a confusing it's, transition if i we'll have a little bit to talk about okay yeah no it's, uh, i think but yeah so up until that. the mid 80s <laughs> video games existed but Yep. Modern video games, I I believe, you've got all these arcade things, but the modern concept of what I consider to be a video game still does not mm. properly exist just yet. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And next week we will talk about, uh, yeah, the earliest examples of those games. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. We've got yeah, the ball too. rolling and for the next six weeks it's going to tumble down that hill and crush every bit of massive news that's definitely going to happen <laughs> during the next month and a half that we will be ab- abs- it would be crazy of us not to address yeah. Yeah. but fuck off <laughs> yeah yeah we want to yeah. do this <laughs> All right, well, let's wrap it up for another week, guys. Thanks very much for listening. Uh, We will see you next week for part two of the 80s. Head to filthycasuals.com.au for the links to our social media stuff. We've got the Patreon. You can get an extra episode of the show every week. If you'd like to chip in a little money to support the show, it's very much appreciated by all three of us. 
Uh, we've got the Let's Plays up on our YouTube channel. We've got our premium episodes on Bandcamp. You can find all that stuff at filthycasuals.com.au. We'll see you next time. And as we say here at the end of every episode of Filthy Casuals. We started this podcast as pack boys. We leave as pack men. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then... Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.